Father in heaven, thank you so much for that scripture reading that reminds us that prayer and time with you is really where the power is found. And so, Lord, guide us as we focus on this idea of staying connected with you. Send your Holy Spirit to help us hear your voice, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you have been to my, pl- my place since I've got this sheep. Her name is Shauna. Almost a prophetic name. Uh, and if you know, there's a little claymation about sheep called Sean the Sheep. And that Sean the Sheep guy, he really is a smart sheep. And as we saw her coming onto our property, she had this wit about her. And we said, well, let's just call her Shauna. But she is into everything. I mean, she finds a way. In fact, when this picture is being taken, I was across the fence from her, and she keep, kept coming closer and closer. She stuck one paw up on the fence, another paw, and she kept going up until she had me face to face with her. Now you've got to watch out because those horns, and she just whips around or something, she can hit you. But this is Shauna, and Shauna so much reminds me of a portion of the Christian life. She, she hears my voice even this morning. I was like, how did she hear me? I mean, we had the window open a crack, and it was around six in the morning, and I thought for sure I had another wink or two, and in the distance, it fails not, somehow they hear, heard us stirring in the house, and they began to greet us. Now, sometimes you think they're yelling at you, but really, they're, one of them is more vocal. We'll talk about her later on, but this one has no fear. She comes right up to you. She sits there, and she'll put her head right in your hands. And, you can, and she just loves just being pet, especially if she's been fed right beforehand and she's really content and happy about life. She'll be, just sit there and soak in that attention and that love. And she so much reminds me of some of the things I find in Scripture. My sheep know my voice and they listen to me. This idea of there I am walking over to feed the chickens and here, guess who's beside me? Shauna. Now, the other one's at a distance. She doesn't trust me as much, and she, I think it's part of her inward nature that needs to be converted, but she's not quite like Shauna. Shauna, as I'm sitting out there, she actually helped me the other day get through three of my doctoral books because I was sitting there watching her eat in the garden area, and I thought, what am I going to do out here with sheep for two or three hours, you know? And I brought my doctoral books out there, and I began to read, and she comes up to me, and she starts sniffing my book, and she breaks up the monotony of the whole thing, and then I, and then I tell her to go on away, Shauna, and she goes away, and I keep reading, and she comes and greets me several times during that whole time sitting out there. And each time she does, there's this strange feeling in my heart that says, Murray, you're supposed to learn something from this little sheep. You're supposed to learn something about trust, about the voice, about following She's teaching you something, even though you're reading all those doctoral books when you're sitting there with her. She's teaching you something. And I know, you know, Shauna reminds me of this idea of being close to the shepherd himself. And some of us have sometimes heard it said, or maybe we've even said it, I wish I could have lived when Jesus was here the first time. I wish I was right there with him. I wish I could have followed him. I wish I could have spent time with him. I wish I could have heard the words I read in Scripture from his very mouth. And I I honestly say that would have been a wonderful experience. I'm not saying it wouldn't have been. But as I think of that type of statement, I think to myself, well, he's actually given us more 
than just having had been there with him. He said that he would send the Holy Spirit who would guide us into the all truth, convict us of judgment and of sin and of righteousness, and would testify of Jesus. Jesus himself would send the Holy Spirit to help us hear his voice. And didn't Jesus himself say, more blessed are those who believe yet have not seen? So as I think of that little sheep following me around and my desire to somehow follow the lamb, as Revelation says, and to be with him each day and have that intimate time with him, I think to myself, really, in some ways, we have an advantage over the disciples who were there. 2020, looking back at all the prophecies, seeing how they lead up to Jesus, seeing how the prophecies have taken place since the time of Jesus, looking back and having right there in two, between two covers, words like this. And if we were honest, we would also believe that Jesus himself comes to us personally as we are reading these words through the Holy Spirit. And so we can have that experience. I look at the Gospel of Mark and I think, well, here's somebody who followed Jesus around, didn't he? And as we look at the Gospel of Mark, we look at this action-packed book where it goes immediately, uthus, this word occurs 17 times, and it's moving this story along, and you're thinking to yourself, wow, this is a... This book, uh, shortest of all the Gospels, has all of this information about Jesus, about how they followed Jesus, how they were with Jesus, how they were staying connected with Jesus. And, and straightway, you find Jesus, this word is used throughout this story of Jesus, occurring 19 times, almost in every chapter. The book seems to just go along rapid-fire sequence down to a certain point. And what is that? If we were to follow the Lamb as our shepherd, where would this story lead us? What's well, contained in chapters 12 and 13 and onward, where the words immediately or straightway are not even in the Greek language at all? It's the Passover. It's the judgment that they're, false judgment they're playing upon Jesus, and Jesus is judging Israel, and it's leading up to the crucifixion. It's slowing us down to the last moments before Jesus dies. Weren't we told that if we spend a thoughtful hour, especially on the closing scenes? Well, the Gospel of Mark, just the very way that it's structured, does that. And it testifies that more than likely Peter himself didn't write it, but it seems to be somebody who had intimate knowledge, especially leading up right to the closing scenes, is helping Mark write this. And most believe that it was actually Peter who's helping Mark write this. And so we find the Gospel pauses and slows down there and then it poof, picks up speed again with those same very words immediately straightway and it makes a v-line for the cross so i think we can spend some time there this morning as well and as we look at those scenes leading up to the cross the realization hits me and i've shared this with you before that peter didn't even make it to the cross Maybe that's why the things were slowed down leading up to it, because those were the final scenes that he had about Jesus, and other disciples had to tell him what happened, because remember, he was out there in the courtyard denying Jesus. I don't even know the man. Can you imagine those words coming out of, I mean, I think, Murray, how could those words ever come out of your mouth? I don't know him. Isn't that what we find in Matthew 25, where Jesus says, there are these groups of people, and some know him, and others don't, and he tells them, I don't know you. But here is Peter saying that. I don't know the man. And has to literally rely on eyewitnesses 
and friends like John and others to tell him what happened. He has to imagine what it would have been like. And so, yes, it would have been nice to be there and been a disciple following him all the way, but some disciples did not follow him all the way. And in that experience, we find our experience. I wasn't there at the cross, neither were you, and neither was Peter. You might debate that. I don't know how you could. The scripture's pretty clear. He didn't make it there. He denied Jesus. Others were there. And we find that Peter then has to have it described to him, just like we do. Peter then has to allow Jesus to share with him the true meaning and have that Holy Spirit poured out to help him understand that true meaning of it. Find that in Luke chapter 24 and Acts chapter 1. And Peter has to be basically in the same boat as we were. We are now. Another interesting fellow in that story is Judas, who had a daily walk with Jesus, didn't he? He's going and following Jesus wherever he goes. He's got the money purse in his hand. He's helping with the poor and all of this. He's seeing Jesus minister to the sick, minister to the poor, minister to the disfranchised, watching this beautiful oil being poured upon Jesus and wondering why it's wasted in such a way, not realizing that that very smell would permeate Jesus all the way through the cross. There's Judas. And I think of the story of Peter and Judas, two individuals who did not make it to the cross. And I think, Murray, which one are you? One who's willing to go back and listen and be proverbially at the feet of Jesus or one who literally eventually walks away from Jesus with betrayal in my heart. We could spend time daily with Jesus in the Word of God. And still deny Him. Because you have people who spent time with Him daily in His very face. Just like Shauna coming up to me. They were coming up to Jesus. They were excited to be with Him. And yet eventually deny Him. That's a, that's a real sobering lesson from the Gospels. And the questions that came to my mind are this, how often do we, and I'm thinking of myself, how often do we make it to the cross? How often do we spend that time there? How often do we slow down like the Gospel of Mark does and sit there and consider everything leading up to that sacrifice for me? Or do I spend my time elsewhere reading all kinds of facts? You know, I'm trained to read some Hebrew and a lot of Greek. And there's a lot of places I can spend my time in the Bible and, and feel at the end of the day, I spent, well, that felt good. I got some good information out of that. But deep down, deep down, am I so busy studying other things that I don't slow down? I want to be like John who made it to the cross. Or those female disciples. Or even Simon of Cyrene, who was forced to carry it, but it turned out to be a blessing. Or those soldiers this morning, I was reading about them. And I thought at first it was just one soldier, but it talked about the soldier, the centurion, but the ones who were guarding Jesus as well. It wasn't just him. It was the other, and they, they looked at all these things that happened. I mean, the, the earth going dark when it's not supposed to. The earth quaking huge ripping sound from a distance as the 
the, the veil is torn in two. This person who typically you're, sit, you're sitting there guarding him. Why are you guarding this guy? He can't get down. Well, maybe his followers will come and take him down. And nobody makes a move. His followers are right there the whole time, lovingly trying to be there for him while others mock and accuse him. And this man doesn't say anything. Others have to say things. Like Pilate, this man is innocent. Can you imagine being the guards watching closely all these things and no wonder they erupted and said surely this is the son of god and so if god can get a hold of a roman soldier centurion and his guards along with him and somehow convict their hearts i pray lord that you'll get a hold of mine and convict my heart as i behold the cross of jesus i don't worship the cross i worship the one who died on the cross for me and so those questions come again. Could we spend time with Jesus daily and still not really know him? It would be like that Jesus in the Gospels class I took at Milo Academy. There I was, taking it by correspondence. There was a lot of information on geography and all these different things, but deep down I wanted to know Jesus. And there I was reading this book, Desire of Ages, for the first time as a relatively new Christian. And it began to say things, and I'd go back to the Bible, and I'd check it out, and my heart began to burn within me because, wow, yeah, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they were there at the cross. That's what the Desire of Ages was saying. And I'd go back to the Bible, and there they are. And I began to get so excited about Jesus, not because of all the facts surrounding him, but because of all of these details that were making it more real for me that this is the person who died for me. There's a lot of teachings in Scripture. And I think if they're rightly understood, they will point us to the cross and to Christ. In some manner or another, either his ministry, his death, his resurrection, his soon return, there's, there are so many Scriptures we can look at. But if we look at them in isolation, then they don't always connect. We have to find a way to connect those Scriptures to Jesus. And so we find there's some implications for us. There are many flippant talkers of Bible truth whose souls are as barren of the Spirit of God as were the hills of Gilboa of dew and rain. This is from Testimonies, Volume 5. It says, but what we need is men who are thoroughly converted. And I'm not saying that's just, hey, Murray, that's you. I'm saying I need that. I need that daily. Who are thoroughly converted themselves and can teach others how to give their hearts to God. The power of godliness has almost ceased to be in our churches. That was written years ago. And why was it? They didn't have all these gizmos and gadgets to distract them like we do now. They had other things, you know. They'd sit on the front porch and gossip about each other. And there, there's lots of things that they did back in the day to keep themselves busy. The, the biggest thing was to have two guys going at each, each other in a debate in a town hall. That was, a, that was big entertainment back then. So you, you say, well, they didn't have all the distractions. Well, they were still, even without all those distractions, getting distracted from the main point. Godliness almost ceased to be in our churches. That's Seventh-day Adventist churches. And why? The Lord is still waiting to be gracious. Waiting to be gracious. He wanted to be gracious to the church, but for some reason, the church wasn't able to accept that. He has not closed the windows of heaven. We have separated ourselves from him. The churches in her day, as she's writing, had separated themselves from Jesus. And what was her cure? We need to fix the eye of faith upon the cross and believe that Jesus is our strength, 
our salvation. So what is the cure for spiritual drought? Pretty clear, isn't it? Pretty clear what the cure was for Jesus denying, excuse me, Peter denying Jesus. That was a personal reinstatement by Jesus. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And the same thing comes to us. A lot of things can distract us. But the eyes of faith have to be focused on Jesus and go all the way to what he has done for us. And so we can know about Jesus, but not really know him. We can know theories about Jesus, but not know him as a person. You can know he's the Messiah like Peter knew or like Judas knew. You could, you could say, surely you're the Messiah. Surely you're the Son of God. But then not fully recognize his mission. You read Acts chapter 1. They're still in the upper room there. And what do they say? Are you at this time going to restore? I mean, come on, guys. I just died to prove a point. And you know why he spent that time with him, the 40 days. It's, it was to make sure they were rock solid, had a beautiful foundation of his death for them. And they didn't misunderstand the Messiah. But we know they did. They, you could have a lack of focus on Christ, and so could I. There could be all kinds of stuff that takes my time away from Jesus, and all that stuff is antichrist. My job requires me to sit on the computer sometimes, and I think to myself, when I go on that computer, I better make a list, because I could spend, I could spend a lot of time on the computer. Sending emails, waiting for replies, waiting for something from the conference. I mean, that's part of my job, if you will. But what do I really enjoy? I enjoy, I enjoy connecting with people through that medium and then somehow turning it all off. Yep, cell phone too. You call me on a Friday night, the cell phone won't be on. It's not even on right now. It should be, I guess, in case something happened. But why? Because I want to focus on Christ and declutter everything. There are so many distractions. I could become highly critical of others and think, well, I've arrived somehow. Others have not. Um, but then I'd be one of Satan's right-hand helpers, or as Jesus calls them, Satan's children. Ooh, that would be a terrible place to be, wouldn't it? To get to the point where I have a steady diet of tearing other people down, and you think it doesn't exist, I've seen it. I've received the knives at times from my back. And I can tell you, it's not fun. And I don't want to be that way. So how can I avoid being that way? I mean, Judas was one of the most critical people you find in the group. There he is, criticizing and going on. And, and look at this ointment. should have been used for this. And, and you look all the way down. He, he gets to the point where he rejects Jesus because he can't accept him. He can't accept what this looks like. Goes to the chief priests and all of them. How much will you give me to betray this guy? What was he focused on? We know he's focused on money. We know he's focused on a false picture of who the Messiah is really going to be. And he cannot accept the miracles and the things that Jesus is showing. How could he minister to these downcast, dirty people in the society? How could he, how could he let that woman do this to, his, to him? You see the critical spirit that ruled Judas's heart. I don't want that. How could I sit in the very feet of Jesus and let him wash my feet and still have a critical heart? I, I just don't understand it, though I do know it is a highly intoxicating, if you've never gotten drunk, some have on this, intoxicating and addictive behavior to tear down others. That's why it feels so good, because then if they're torn down, you fill up, and, but then you crash, like any drug addict does. So as I look at that, I say, Lord, please help me not be that way. But how can I not be that way? 
I got to have the love of Jesus soften my edge. If, you, if I had been your pastor back when I first began, <laughs> I, I don't think I could have handled you or you handled me. I mean, I was just very much of German stock. Boom, 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 boom. I'm right. I know I'm wrong. And I know I'm human. And that helps. But the only can keep that going is if I keep looking to Jesus daily and say, all right, I feel like doing this, but I see your life did this. That's what softens me. And yeah, I'm concerned about heresy coming into the church, but I'm more concerned that we don't greet, meet, excuse me, meet the heresy. Sometimes we like to greet it and talk all about it and everything, and we seem like we're more friends with it than we are with Jesus. It, I, I think we can meet the heresy very clearly with Jesus, and that's what we need. We need to look and say, yeah, this is coming in, and that's coming in. This is how Jesus handles it. And you never know, you might actually win some people from another viewpoint if you're actually presenting Jesus and saying, this is why I don't accept it, because this is what Jesus is like. And if they truly love Jesus, they could actually accept that. Do I find it hard to relate to the Bible personally? That would be a symptom of drought, wouldn't you think so? I mean, if I, I'm reading the Bible and it, I'm getting through my five chapters or whatever each day and, and nothing really stands out to me, hits me personally, then I think I'd be in a drought of some kind. Or maybe I'm thirsty for other things. Maybe I, I like certain other authors instead. And I have no appetite or thirst for the Bible. That would produce a spiritual drought over time and eventually would sever a connection with Jesus. Always ready for another end-time theory rather than looking to the one who will lead me through the end? I was reading this very morning, those last words of Matthew 28, and it said, I'm with you to the end of the world, excuse me, into all, in the end of all the ages, in one translation says, so basically, to the very end of the age. If he's with me to the very end of the age, yeah, I'm aware of things going on in the land, but deep down when I'm sitting in a jail cell for the faith in Jesus, am I concerned at that point about anything other than my relationship with Jesus? Probably not. Because I've already been arrested for you know, going against the Sunday law or whatever, and now I'm locked up in jail. Lord, keep me focused on you. They're going to try to brainwash me. They're going to try to put all kinds of weird music over the, the intercom and try to get my mind thinking I'm worthless. And like Von Braun, Pastor Von Braun, he got to the point where he couldn't even remember the words, Jesus loves me, because they brainwashed him so much. Lord, it's deep down my relationship with you that's going to get me through that. And Jacob's time of trouble, if you read it carefully, is actually a soul-searching that takes place at the end of time between every believer and Jesus. Is there anything between us, Lord? It's not, it's not the latest prophecy. No, those things will, will take place, but Jesus said the purpose of those were for us to believe in him when we see these things come to pass. I may have a spiritual drought going on if I'm prone to pendulum swings as well. Maybe I'm one way at church, another way at home or out in the community. Maybe I'm super sensitive to constructive criticism. I uh, just all of a sudden want to respond defensively instead of saying, oh, wait a minute. Maybe this is a loving rebuke. Maybe I need to hear this. And so as I look at all of these conditions of spiritual drought, and I think of Peter, and I think of Judas, and I think of the whole story of Jesus, I think, Lord, I need to stay connected with you today or I'm going to end up like that. And yesterday, as I was reading, the Lord asked me this question. 
it really made that statement, and there's a question later on that came to my mind. If we're constantly thirsty, then we need to seek a source to quench that thirst, don't we? If we're constantly looking at all kinds of things going on around us, maybe that's a symptom that we're really just thirsty for Jesus, and we're covering it with other things, masking it with other things. We must stay connected to cure the drought. And this is what he said. It's about knowing me, Murray, knowing I delay to joyfully save more people, not to give you more ugly headlines to read. Now, I'll read that again. It's about knowing me, knowing I delay to joyfully save more people, not to give you more ugly headlines to read. There's a lot of ugly headlines out there, headlines, and they could draw our attention away from Jesus. And as I was reading Matthew 25, where the bridegroom delayed his coming, I thought, that's what he's using to describe it, and we all started going to sleep, then what does it mean? If I truly know the bridegroom is coming and he's delaying, then I'm going to prepare for that. Because back in that day, a celebration could take time. Can you imagine a bridegroom and his bride going through town and you're throwing you know, barley and different things at him and you're celebrating and all of that? People are celebrating during a wedding as they're progressing. So uh, the only thing I can find in the, in the New Testament that really is parallel to that is there's more joy in heaven over one sinner that repents than over 99 that do not need to repent. So I need to be prepared for a delay because my God is saving as many people as possible. That's why that spoke to me very well. The bridegroom is delaying because he's saving. He's interested in saving as many as possible. So I should expect a delay and I should try to spend time with him and focusing on the fact that he's coming, and I should focus on the fact that I need him because sinners are repenting right now. And I shouldn't be spending all my time reading the headlines. I should daily be repenting. And this is where that quotation comes in. We should spend a thoughtful hour each day in contemplation of the life of Christ. We should take it point by point, let the imagination grasp each scene, especially the closing ones, ones that Peter missed. As we thus dwell upon his great sacrifice, our confidence in him, will be more constant. Our love will be quickened. We shall be more deeply imbued with his spirit. And we want the outpouring, but in order to get it, you have to go to Jesus. And so do I. If we would be saved at last, we must learn the lesson of penitence and humiliation at the foot of the cross. That's why Revelation says they follow the lamb wherever he goes. So yeah, do I want the latter rain? Sure. Do I want the earth to be lightened with his glory? Well, what is his glory anyway? It's his character. And in order to have his character in my life, I have to have the mind of Christ in me. I have to daily go focus on him. So if I want his glory, I've got to behold his glory every day. And so if there's love in the church, that means Jesus is in the church. If there's love in our hearts, that means Jesus' words have been in our hearts. That's really the outcropping of, of this beautiful teaching of Jesus, that if you spend time with me, I will change you discouraging in any other way. I know people who left the church over the fact that they didn't feel like they were good enough, that they would never really amount to what the standard was. The standard's Jesus. The standard's perfection. It's always been that. So how do we reach it? If it's any other way than Jesus, then that's an antichrist teaching because then we don't need Jesus. So we need to have that thoughtful hour. Now, you've got a little insert in your bulletin We'll go through here in the next five or so minutes. And I wanted to have you take this home with you because it might be something you want to pray about. It's that green insert. You'll have a bunch of quotations in here, some 
Bible verses to look up on your own. But I thought instead of me just preaching the rest of this time here, I want to have you go through this, and then when you get home, you'll have something in your hand that you can review back with, with the Lord. So the, it's up on the screen, and you'll notice there's some blanks every once in a while. And I'm going to put them in red up on the screen as we go along. So the first thing says I'm going to introduce the process to you, the process of staying connected. Some of you have been reading in the Bible. That's fine. You've got Bible reading plans, devotional plans. That's great. I'm just providing a menu, if you will, to say here's a couple items that you could consider adding to, to what you're doing. So I believe prayer is talking to God like a friend. And I find plenty of ex examples of this in the Old Testament where you find individuals who are not described as prophets but as friends. You find Moses as one of them. You find Noah as one of them. You find these are individuals who are called friends. So if they're friends and they were able to have God guide them through those things, then that meant there was some kind of relationship going on. That's why prayer is like talking to a friend. Not that you're somehow bringing God off his throne, but in a sense that you have a loving monarch that you're approaching. And that's what this quotation says. Our life is to be bound up with the life of Christ. We're to draw constantly from him, partaking of him, the living bread that came down from heaven. That's from John chapter 5 and onward if you want to read it in the Bible. Drawing from a fountain ever fresh, ever giving forth its abundant treasures. The more you drink of Jesus, you think it's over with. It, uh, it just only begins. He continues to pour it out. It's the same thing with giving. When you begin giving tithes and offerings, what you find is the more you give, the more he fills. I looked at my giving receipt from this year and the year before, and I'm thinking, wow, Lord, uh, why did I give so much? And I thought, well, I looked back, and I saw how he had impressed me over and over again to give more than I'd ever given before in my, in my material life, and yet I'm still perfectly fine in abundance because of it. So I think the same thing goes for the spiritual life. It says here, if, if you ever, giving ever forth its abundant treasures, you keep drawing from that, it's going to keep coming forth. If we keep the Lord ever before us, allowing our hearts to go out in thanksgiving and praise to him, we shall have a continual freshness in our religious life. Our prayers will take the form of a conversation with God as we would talk with a friend. He will speak his mysteries to us, and here's the fill in the blank up on the screen, personally. Personally. Do I want a friendship like that? Him speaking to me personally? If you've got sin between you and God, you might not want that. But if you may not feel comfortable with that. If there's, you feel like there's nothing between you and your Savior or between you and other people, even if there is, you can take care of that. But if, there, if you really want that closeness, then what you're saying is, I want you to speak to me personally. And that's not some weird mystic thing going on. This is the still small voice connecting you to the Word of God. And so that's the word, personally, and you have the reference there. And so prayer involves praise, talking, and listening. If I'm going to sit there and talk to God all the time, and then at some point, everybody knows, if you have a relationship, one of the main things you eventually do is you pause and you actively listen. It, at least if you want that relationship to go on for very long. Because if you're just doing all the talking every time, then eventually it, it will get to the point where the other person's uh, not as appreciative of it. So this time with God brings us to a sweet, joyful sense of the presence of Jesus. So he personally 
comes to us and speaks to us, and the presence of Jesus is what comes. And when you're sitting there in your quiet time with the Lord, you know what I'm talking about. If you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, then maybe sitting still for a while with the Bible and going through and saying, Lord, can you please speak to me personally and then begin to listen, you'll, you'll find a sense of the presence of God comes. It's almost like a joy, a peace, uh, just a, almost like a happiness of heaven. I'm feeling, I don't know how to describe it, but it's, it's this deep setting peace that comes over you like, Murray, it's going to be all right. Look at this verse. It's, it's talking about your situation here. And this peace comes over you. Jesus said, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. And so this is this presence of God. And the question I had as I was putting this together this week, Murray, do you have this? Do you have that presence of Jesus? That sweet, joyful sense of the presence of Jesus? You have to circle that for yourself. I would say most of the time. Unless my brain is all over the place, I can sit still and actually be in his presence like I'm in the presence of the, the most wonderful king of the universe I could ever imagine. And so this involves then, if you're in his presence, listening to his voice, reflecting on scripture, and letting him change our minds. And this is what the idea of repentance is. The message that I have for the church for the rest of my breath is we all need to change our minds and repent daily. We need to turn to him daily. Our sinful nature will take us all kinds of directions. Repentance means turning and changing your mind. And it comes as a result of his call. The same call in the world we find in Genesis to Adam and Eve, where are you, is the same call every morning to me. So this is the whole idea of, I have the concept that somehow, when I sit still in the study with the Lord, it has to be a time of conversation. That's what friendship involves. Listening and all of that. So then how am I going to approach him, first thing? Well, I have a, a guide out there that's in the foyer, and it has a, it has a place called praise, and I have blanks that I fill in. And then it has a place called text, and there's a place where I write the text in. And then there's a place where I have questions, and I answer all those questions. HMS Richards had different questions. I just have three. And so I begin my time with praise, because yes, I believe this is a conversation, but Lord, I'm going to enter into this with praise. And we find in this beautiful way of saying it, that such compliments and appreciation are usually part of a deep relationship. I don't just praise him and thank him for the gimmies. You gave me this, you gave me that, thank you for this or that. I actually pause, and sometimes I go back to the words where God is hiding Moses in the rock, and I read some of those attributes of God. Long-suffering, merciful. And I will choose one of them, and I'll, I'll just think about it for a minute. Lord, how have you been merciful to me? And I'll write it down. And if I can't, I don't have a pen or paper at the time, I'll think about it. I'll just say, Lord, you have, you've brought me through some stuff that only a loving, kind father like you could have brought me through. That's more than saying thank you. That's acknowledging his mercy. And so if I have that type of word, those type of words coming out of my mouth, that means I'm in, into a deeper relationship than just saying thank you for the food. Because I can go to a restaurant and thank the waitress for the food, 
And I could go at home and thank my wife the same way I thank the waitress for the food. What's the difference? Well, it's, it's the love in my heart, for one. But it's also the way in which I do it. I'll gather my little kids. We'll have prayer together. And in that prayer, I will say, Lord, and thank you so much for Mama fixing this food. She's been, so, you know, she's been doing so much for us. That's a little different than the waitress. So when it's coming to God, am I treating him like the waitress or like my wife? It's, it's deeper than just, thank you, here's your tip. It's real appreciation. And the psalmist all knew how to do this. You find Psalm chapter 4, verse 4 is a good example of that. Ephesians 5 points out that the, the bride and the husband are symbols really of Christ and his church. So that's a deep relationship. And Ellen White says this, prayer is the opening of the heart to God as to a friend. The eye of faith will discern God very near. The suppliant may obtain precious evidence of the divine love and care for him. If I'm going to God in prayer, I'm going to discern God very near. I am going to point out the evidence of his love. He's done all these things, but he's done it because he loves me. And this involves meditating on Scripture. So that's praise. And then you find, as you flip the sheet over, it mentions meditating on Scripture. And we're not talking of Eastern meditation where you empty your mind. We're talking about where you're filled with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. You find Psalm chapter 1, verse 2, and Psalm 63, and Psalm 119. It's, it's this idea of meditating or thinking or ponder anew what the Almighty can do, as the songwriter wrote. It's, it's almost like you know how you're walking along sometime and, a, and you see something beautiful and you can't help but, but tell somebody else about it? It's just, so you're walking with your spouse or your kids and you're like, wow, look at that. And, and the words just come out of your mouth? Well, when you're pausing and thinking about something beautiful like that and the words just spontaneously come out of your mouth, that's the same type of pondering we have. It's almost like a murmur inside your soul. It's like, I gotta tell somebody about this. You have paused long enough to really appreciate it. And so to meditate means almost like, wow, God. But in order to get that effect, you have to pause long enough to look at the scripture. To say, it mentions that, that uh, this idea of loving your commandments more than silver or gold. I mean, what does that really mean? Lord, I'm getting ready to go to work this week. I love you more than what I'm pursuing in this world because I'm pursuing it for your glory. I mean, it's, it's, it's more, more than, you have to pause to get that. So this idea of murmuring within your soul, thinking out loud, that's what it means to meditate. This idea of you're pausing long enough to get the idea in your mind so you could almost spontaneously, it would come out to somebody else. Ellen White says, I must meditate upon the word of God night and day and bring it into my practical life the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, is the only sword which I can safely use. So she's talking about the Word of God and saying we should meditate upon it, especially as families, we should take time to meditate upon it. She goes on, we should meditate upon the Scriptures, thinking soberly and candidly upon the things that pertain to eternal salvation, the infinite mercy and love of Jesus, the sacrifice made in our behalf, so what are the content, what's the content she's talking about? This here. Call for most serious and solemn reflection. Pausing. Like this morning, I had, I'd read over that passage so many times. I'd read over the idea of, surely this was the Son of God. 
But it says specifically, they were considering all these things and said, what were all those things that they had considered that resulted in that exclamation? Surely this is the Son of God. And in my devotional time, I just started writing them. Well, they were, they were there from the beginning, weren't they? You find if they were stationed to guard him on the cross, they're watching all of this stuff go on. Maybe they were there in Pilate's court as well. And it mentions not just the centurion, but other guards. I never caught that before. It was all the things that they beheld about Jesus happening to him and surrounding him that caused him to say that. And so that only takes place when we have solemn reflection. And I came to the conclusion that if a hardened Roman soldier who had seen his share of crucifixions could say that about Jesus, somehow that crucifixion could soften his heart, then surely it could soften my heart because I have never seen a crucifixion. We should dwell upon the character of our dear Redeemer and intercessor. Imagine being that soldier and you're seeing this guy not curse and revile like the others. You're seeing his followers not planning a rebellion to take him off the cross. You're seeing him take care of his mother and a disciple saying, you know, this is your mother, this is your son. You're seeing him cry out, Father, forgive him. Can you imagine being in that scene as a soldier and seeing the character of Jesus and have it not change your heart? I guess it could if you're one of those really hardened guys who's just trying to ignore it all, but for some reason those guys beheld him differently than other people who had died on the cross. And I believe it's because they saw a different character of person. And so as I reflect on Scripture, I'm going to dwell upon the character of my dear Redeemer and my intercessor. It may be at the cross. It may be at the Passover leading up to the cross. I'm going to look through the Scriptures and consider this is what Jesus is like. But that takes pausing to do that once again. So the suggested format, as you look in your handout there, there's a journal guide that I've given out to our new believers, but it's out there in the foyer as well. And what it's going to look like, it's going to have some of these main points on the front, and then you flip it over, and it's going to have a bunch of fill in the blanks. And all I do is I take that in my journal, and that's how I pause. It may only be some sessions are only 30 minutes long. Other sessions are longer. But if you were to take that time and to f use that guide that would be helpful to you, then great. Some of you have been following the Bible reading plan that has five chapters on part, one part of the day, one or two chapters in the morning focusing on the life of Jesus. That's also out there. But I, I encourage you, if you don't have something to write in, do it. And if you can't write, then get something that you can somehow sit down with and at least in your mind go through that format. And you'll find, as you slow down long enough, and as like I have found, that the Bible begins to apply to just, to not everybody else's life. I'm looking right in the mirror here. It's applying to my life. And Jesus begins to change me. And so if you can't write on it, I know some have told me that, uh, I remember back a few months ago, I said, well, then, then just listen to the Word of God and then pause and use the questions, some kind of questions. If you don't like those, find some that work for you. HMS Richards would say, you know, is there, is there a lesson for me to learn? Is there a sin for me to confess? Is there, you know, he had a whole list of things in there, uh, of questions. You can use those if you want, or you can use the three questions that are out there. The three questions are, what are you saying to me, Lord, in this text? How does this intersect or apply to my life? 
And then third one is, Lord, what is your invitation for me in this text? What are you inviting me to do? And those three questions are what I use every day. So I've been using this for quite a while now, and I've enjoyed it. And each day, it seems like, even if things are really busy, I've got to get out and take care of those animals first thing. And, and sometimes I'm rushing over there to do that. I come back in, and I'm like, Lord, I need to pause, don't I? Before I go on, I know what the day is going to be like. I need to sit here and pause for a while. And so that's what I will do. Jesus challenges us, and that's the rest of this uh, fill-in-the-blank. John 5, 39 through 40. Jesus stated that you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And these are they which bear witness of me, and ye will not come to me that ye may have life. That is a sad set of verses. Because I first believed when I became a Seventh-day Adventist that it's telling me, search the Scriptures, right? And that's the way it was used. But as you kept reading, it was actually a rebuke saying that people searched the Scriptures. And they thought that in the searching of the Scriptures, they would have eternal life. They thought that in searching the Scriptures, they would have eternal life. The more they read, the more they learned, the more facts they went to, the classes they went to. But Jesus said, they are they which testify or bear witness of me. And you will not come to me. So we can read all we want and think that we're somehow on the path of eternal life and not know Jesus and eventually be lost. I've known some people who can, can translate Hebrew, Aramaic. Um, you find Akkadian, all the languages of the Old Testament and New Testament Greek and all of that combined, and they don't know Jesus. What good is it? You can be a scholar and not know Jesus. You can search these things and not know Jesus. And Jesus is saying, you search them because you think that in that searching you will have eternal life, but they testify of me. That's what the scriptures must do for us. And that's why these verses are a challenge, not a promise. We took them as a promise, and I've been in the proof texting business for a little while when I first became a minister. We used them as a promise when they were really a challenge, saying, you got to know Jesus. And really at that point in that study when we were talking about the, how to study the Bible, we should have been saying, you've got to find Jesus in the Scriptures. But we were sharing with them facts, and so when you get down to the Sabbath, if the Sabbath is a fact, it's easy to discard the fact. But if it's attached to the person, it's a harder thing to, to, to somehow get rid of Jesus if he's attached to the Sabbath. Excuse me, get rid of the Sabbath if it's attached to Jesus. And so it's a challenge, not a promise. We cannot have life by considering any other source except Jesus. So they had a good source, didn't they? The scriptures? Wonderful source. But they didn't connect it to him. Can you imagine having sources other than the scriptures that we're considering? And I'll step on some toes. Hollywood media really should be hardly any part of our diet. We shouldn't be spend much time beholding it. Nor should we be sitting there spending hours on Netflix and these other different things on the internet or a lot of time-consuming games that take our minds off of Jesus. I'm sorry, guys, but th it's time for us to spend this time that we do have, limited time we have now, with Jesus. And we should also not be spending our time searching the internet looking for the latest spiritual formation article to somehow criticize somebody with. 
Do you realize Daniel went to the school of Babylon? And if you're going to start criticizing people for using, you know, somehow they went to school at a certain place, and I've gotten articles in my office, I am very much aware of what's trying to be infiltrating the church, and I'm willing to stop it. But the only way I've found to really stop it is just to somehow point to Jesus. The other methods are just going to excite and bring about disunity. And so what I'm saying is, don't spend that time reading all those things. Uh, it was like years ago when I, when I learned about um, angel warfare. I went to a website and I thought, what am I even doing here? Do we want to spend time on a website looking for data for a sermon that a website is of the occult? Do I want to spend time looking for data on a ser- for a sermon on stuff that is basically insinuation? You know, there, we have to have a source that is pure. And to spend all that time on these other things and very little time on this, I believe that's a tragedy. So I don't care whether it's media, whether it's searching for the latest this or that, let's take that time and let's put it towards focusing on Christ. Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, it needs to come to Jesus. That's why it mentions this idea, I stand at the door and knock, and you man hears my voice and opens unto me, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. It really needs Jesus. But unfortunately, for some reason, Laodicea gets to the point where it doesn't really have an appetite for Jesus. doesn't recognize it's reading all these things and yet blind, doesn't see Jesus. Miserable, naked, and poor. I remember I was visiting somebody in Medford, Oregon during a series of meetings. And as we got into each home, we would, we would take them through and clear them on the gospel because some people put down that they're Seventh-day Adventists, but they weren't Seventh-day Adventists. So you had to assume, all right, I've got to clear them on the stuff that the evangelist wants me to clear them on. So I go into this home that claims to be a Seventh-day Adventist, and I begin to ask some simple questions. Do you think you have eternal life? Where are you at with the Lord? You know, simple little questions like that. And we get down to it, and you get somebody who is totally fearful of Jesus, wants nothing to do with the church. It's just coming because it's, it's the latest Revelation seminar, and they don't know Jesus. And I, I remember walking out to the car with my visitation partner, and we, we did get them to the point where they were saying, you know what, Lord, come into my life. I'm going to invite you into my life. I want to see these seminars differently than I've ever seen them before. It felt good, but the sobering reality was about 50% of those visits like that that wrote down SDA, Seventh-day Adventist, they didn't have the assurance. They didn't really know Jesus. They knew a lot of facts, but they didn't know him. And there was a lot of fear that was pushing them down the scope of time, but they really did not have the love that was actually drawing them. And it saddened me. And so every church I've been to since then, the first thing I try to do when I visit people is just say, well, where are you at with the Lord? Because of that very experience. And I'm not saying somehow I'm further along in the journey and better. I'm just saying I want to know where, where everyone is at. And if I can help you in some way, and if those materials help you, use them. If not, chuck them and, and find something that you're used to doing is helpful to you. But spend that time with Jesus each morning. Feed on him, not on the things of this world. This is the other sheep I have, kindness. And she's not very kind. She was called kindness by somebody who gave her to me as their first fruits, which I should have said just sell it and take the money and give it to, you know. But here I get this, this sheep. And the first thing this sheep does 
It is so scared. I have it in the back of a Durango. I didn't have a tra- uh, tr- uh, uh, somehow a trailer to transport, so I stuck it in a dog, huge dog kennel. I put some things down. I gave it some food as we were going down the road, and it's yelling at me the whole time. I mean, this is a two over two-hour trip, and I'm like, ugh. And so I'm like, Lord, let's go around these corners a little bit faster, make it kind of lay down, because it was standing up and yelling at me the whole time. And we get this sheep home, and we put it in there with, uh, with Shauna, and Shauna was a little bit smaller than this one. And what does this one begin to do? It's so freaked out and scared that it begins to take its horns and jab up into the abdomen of the other one, just trying to just hurt the other one. And it would ram and butt the other one. And I'm like, first time with sheep, what in the world do I do with this? And I began reading and trying to figure it out. I decided to separate them. I thought maybe fondness, you know, separation breeds fondness. And I'll separate them for a time and eventually try to introduce them. Eventually they started getting along. But kindness has never really overcome her fears. She wouldn't let us touch her. She wouldn't, I mean, it, I was like, this sheep is from planet who knows where. I mean, it just doesn't have any compared to this other one. And even to this very day, I'm the only one that can, she'll eat out of my hand now, after months and months. And she has ventured to the point where she'll come up and she'll let me put her, my hand right there. That is it. But as soon as I begin to just lovingly, hi, kindness, and it turns and runs away. Now I can tell you right now, I don't care about this sheep as much as I care about the other one. I mean, I, it's, it, I'm, I'm looking deep in her eyes and I'm thinking, there's, Lord, you know, do something about this, you know, but... But deep down, you know, sometimes sheep don't change. If this is their disposition, if this is you know, the way that they were in their flock and the way they, they handled it, maybe she's the skittish one of the flock. I don't know. And she just doesn't seem to change. But does that change the way my desire is? I wish. That she, and she's such a beautiful sheep. Her fleece is like Jacob's and Merino. It's just beautiful fleece. And just, I wish I could just, I wish that she was more like this, temperament-wise. But I know I am powerless to change that. And the same thing goes with the church. I can wish all I want that we are all in love with Jesus and that we all come and follow him and we just can't wait to be with him each and every time he comes around and we want him to be near us and touch us and be with us and be in his presence. But I cannot do that for you and you cannot do that for me. We each have to have that change. And what it's going to take for kindness, I think, is a lot of kindness over probably many years to get her to the point where she overcomes that fear and realizes she can trust the shepherd no matter what. And I think that could be the experience for some of us. There's a lot of things that cause us to be fearful and anxious, but it's going to take time. And God is willing to take that time with each one of us and say, yeah, I'm okay with touching you on the hip. I want to do so much more. I want to draw you close and have you right in my hands and look you right in the eyes. And, And you be my child and me be your father and your God. And so these sheep teach me a lesson every day. And as I'm sitting out there, I'm saying, Lord, am I close to you or am I far away? Am I holding on to fear or things that cause me to separate from you? Or am I coming close to you and following you all the way? I hope I'm more like Sean. But I recognize I could be like that. And I I have my tendencies. And so I have to allow trust in the shepherd to become like that. And the way it happens is, is we keep trusting the spirit to guide us. 
right into that beautiful relationship with Jesus until we're before his face. It all begins each morning as we go throughout the day. He comes to us. He wants us to follow him. He wants to be close to us. But the question is, are we going to overcome things that are holding us back to spend that time with him? Maybe you have overcome. Great. But if you're like me, there's episodes every once in a while where you're like, all right, Lord, I've got to trust you more on this one. Help me, Lord, trust you. And so our closing song is, uh, is to that effect. And in this song, you'll notice it says, Oh, may thy spirit guide my feet in ways of righteousness. Make every path of duty straight and plain before my face. If we're following this shepherd, it's going to be that way eventually. We're going to recognize he's made things straight before us all the way to that beautiful kingdom. So I invite you to join me with this song. It'll be on the screen. Lord, in the morning, may every morning be a time of staying connected with you. Lord, in the morning thou shalt hear my voice ascending high to prayer to thee lift up mine eyes up to the hills where Christ is gone to plead for all his saints presenting at his father's throne our songs and our complaints. Oh, may thy spirit guide my feet in ways of righteousness. Make every path of duty straight and plain before my face. The shall see their hopes fulfilled. See God will compass them with favor as a shield. Father in heaven, surround us with your love. Help us, though there are many things that could distract us, to stay connected and focused on you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.